welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, Covenant Grace Church. We're in Exodus 19 in a series in Exodus called Freed to Follow. And this morning is also Ascension Sunday. Now, Ascension Sunday is one of the five major holidays in the traditional church calendar. The Ascension was when Jesus bodily went up to reign in heaven. And so what happened was Jesus died on a Friday. He was raised on a Sunday. Then he spent 40 days wandering around and talking to people and eating with them and and being with them to show that he had truly risen from the dead, that he had truly conquered death, that he was alive and well. And then after that 40-day period, he ascended into heaven with his body, took his body with him. As the Apostles' Creed says, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Amen. And so we have Ascension Sunday this Sunday. Next Sunday is going to be Pentecost Sunday because 10 days after the Ascension, he sent forth his Holy Spirit into his people to empower them for mission and to spread the gospel. Uh, This morning, guys, we're going to be in Exodus 19, and we're also going to be in Hebrews 12, so make sure you find that. That's coming later. But in Exodus 19, guys, it's been months in the desert that these people have had their faith stretched. God had told them, trust me, and I will bring you to the promised land, a place flowing with milk and honey. But then God seems to have brought them in a completely opposite direction. They've actually been sent out into the desert around Sinai, um, a place that is the exact opposite of a place flowing with milk and honey. And I just asked you this morning, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever come to a place in your life where you said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. You feel like you've totally surrendered to him. And instead of leading you immediately to the promised land, he seems to lead you out into the desert, into a place that has no milk and honey, in a place of of difficulty. And guys, these people have been sent out into the desert, but get this, they've actually been sent closer to God. Amen? The desert is so often where God meets us. I think if we went around and shared some stories, we'd find that God more often meets us in the desert place. And so as we meet God in the desert here in Exodus 19, we're going to see two things about him. We're going to see his tender love, and we're going to see his terrifying holiness. We're going to see his tender love and his terrifying holiness. And it's a bit jarring in this passage. There's a quick transition between verse 8 and 9 where we see this. But guys, both his tender love and his terrifying holiness are both aspects of his beauty. They're both aspects of God's beauty. And so let's look first at the love of God. God's love for his people is so beautifully seen in verses 1 through 8. It says this, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness, and there Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So it's here at Mount Sinai next week in chapter 20 that we're going to see God giving his law to his people. But I want you to notice something about the order. It was first their exodus, their escape, their rescue from Egypt. Then God gave them the law. God first rescues his people, then he gives them his law. And that order, guys, is intentional because God's people have never been saved by law keeping. It's not like the Lord came to them in Egypt and gave them his law and said, hey, if you can keep this, I'll take you out. 
right? That would be salvation by law keeping. No, the way that we see in Exodus here, which is a huge visual aid, is that God saves them out and then gives them the law. The law is intended to be a response to the love of God, that they would love him back in return. And I love the image here that the Lord gives of salvation by grace. Look again at verse 8. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And then he says this, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Their rescue was completely by grace. It was like being picked up by an eagle and born on eagles' wings. It reminds me, and this is probably where Tolkien got the image, but it reminds me of the eagles carrying Frodo in Lord of the Rings, that they were picked up in, in a place where they needed to be rescued and just carried on to the next place. Their rescue the Jews here were rescued all by God. It was completely God. He just picked them up and carried them along. And guys, what's really neat when you look at the book of Exodus is that a believing Jew that lived during that time could say something that sounds a lot like our own testimony. Think about it. A believing Jew, somebody that was at this stage of the book of Exodus, could say something like this, which might sound just like your testimony. He would say something like, you know, we were slaves in Egypt and we were in bondage under an evil ruler. But we took refuge under the blood of the Lamb, and God set us free. He rescued us. He redeemed us. He saved us by grace. And now we're on our way to the promised land, and we've been given God's law, and we're learning how to trust and obey Him as we go through the wilderness to the true promised land. Sounds a lot like your testimony, right? These people were saved by grace. Uh, Guys, keeping God's law is a response to grace. The gospel is not, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. That's legalism, religion, is I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. It's really important. The gospel is not, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel is, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. The reformer has called this the third use of the law. God's law has multiple purposes. It shows us what God is like. It shows us our need for Christ, that we can't keep it. And then the third use of the law is that the law is actually God's love languages. It's the way that we love God back in response. And that's what we see. That's what we see even here at Sinai. Keeping God's law will also give these people an amazing role in God's plan. That's what verse 5 is about. Check this out. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God's like, you know what? I've got this beautiful role for you as my missionary people. If you keep my commandments, this is what you can be. And so keeping God's commandments, learning to do his commands by the power of the Spirit is actually an invitation to be his missionary people. He says, be my treasured possession among the peoples. That term treasured possession is used in the Old Testament of a king's treasury. He might show it off to other nations and say, look at my treasury, look at all I have. That's who we are. We're a people when we keep his commandments that God's able to say, those are my distinct people. This is my treasure. Um, We're also given an invitation to be a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? They connect people to God. Uh, And to be a holy nation, which says it's a community. So the invitation to Israel here is be my community of people living distinctly together to connect other people to me. That's the invitation. Sounds good, right? What else does it sound like? It sounds a lot like the church. Peter quoted this passage and applied it. This passage in Exodus 19, Peter quoted it and applied it to the church. In 1 Peter 2.9, he said this, 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and then listen to the purpose, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we do. That's what we do as a church. We're a community of people living distinctly together to connect other people to God. And it's so cool to see it, guys. I mean, even during this really bizarre last couple of months, we see more and more people coming to know the Lord through you guys, through you guys sharing the link of this, of all things, and you guys reaching out and loving your neighbors and loving um, your, your relatives, maybe people you haven't talked to in a while, and you're reconnecting with them and you're sharing the gospel with them. And we're seeing more and more people come to know Jesus Christ through the church. And it's so cool their response. Look at verse 8. Because these people, they want to love God back. And they want to be that people for him. Take a look at verse 8. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported those words of the people to the Lord. So it's a beautiful start, right? Where we see the love of God, his, his welcoming, his invitation. He's come to me, right? But then something really strange happens. <laughs> so between verses 8 and 9, God gets super scary. God gets super scary in verse 9. If everything about verses 1 through 8 said, come near, everything about verses 9 through 25 say, stay away. (laughs) Right? Take a look at it. In verses 9 through 25, we see the holiness of God. And we see the sinfulness of people. First, let's look at their sinfulness. Take a look at verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, and the people that the people may hear when I speak to you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For the third, on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And the message in this section is, you're sinners. You're sinners. He tells the people to consecrate themselves and to wash their garments, and even in verse 15, to abstain from sexual relations during that three days. And the reason why he did that is not because dirty clothes or or sexual relations between married people is sinful. It's not. It was a way of ritual purity. It was a way of ritual purity. Ritual purity was a way for them to, to do some things externally that show that they're sinful, that their hearts are sinful. When they washed their clothes, they were saying, we are dirty, not on the outside but on the inside is a way of saying that we're not clean enough to approach you. God is sending a message here. Your sinners stay away. And then we see God's holiness. And when we see God come down on that third day on Mount Sinai, his appearance uh, just speaks of his holiness and his danger. Take a look at verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud blast of trumpets so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpets grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Okay, so everything about God's appearance here says holiness in danger. He comes as a storm. Um, the theological term for that is a storm theophany. So he appears as a storm. And that happens many times in scripture. This is the first one. But he appears with thunder and lightning and a cloud. It's danger. 
its holiness. And then there's the trumpets in verse 16, which terrify the people. Trumpets being an instrument associated often with war. And so they're terrified of the loud, growing noise of the trumpets. It's super noisy and it's smoky and because the mountain's on fire like a kiln. And you see God's holiness displayed in fire. And then you've got earthquakes. This earthquakes, the whole place is shaking in verse 18. And then there's this loud voice which terrifies them. In Hebrews 12, it says they begged that they would no longer hear God's voice because it was so loud. And you have Moses speaking to the Lord and then the Lord speaking back in thunder. Guys, these people are actually standing before the very throne of God and seeing his holiness. And I say that because of the strange wording in verse 2. In verse 2, it says they encamped in front of the mountain. Now, mountains don't really have fronts, do they? But thrones do. This mountain has become the actual throne of God. They're standing before his throne. And Hebrews 12 says not only were the people afraid, but Moses was afraid. He says he trembled greatly. Moses was scared. And I'm just thinking, like, if Moses is scared, the people should be scared. Because, guys, Moses is their mediator. And the job of a mediator like Moses is to project some calm and to have some answers, right? They turn to him for calm and answers. Uh, Many of you guys in our church, many of you are police officers or paramedics or EMTs or firemen or other kind of first responders. And um, you're called to remain calm, aren't you? You're called to remain calm and show no fear no matter what. When you show up to a scene that's chaotic and scary, you're there to project calm and to bring things under control, right? They're counting on your calm to calm them, right? Um, If you freak out, they're going to freak out. Well, Moses is in a similar spot. They're looking to him for confidence. And if he looks scared, they're scared. If your mediator is scared, you should be scared. And so they're scared. They're scared of his holiness. And then they're told, you know, they're told specifically stay away in verse 12. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot with an arrow, not a gun, obviously, whether beast or man, he shall not live. Guys, even the animals, if they touch the edge of the mountain, were to die right? And so all the people and the animals are being told to stay away. But you know who else is being told to stay away, surprisingly? The priests. Take a look at verse 22. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come to the mountain of Sinai, for you yourselves warned us, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up and bring Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come to the Lord, lest he, he, the Lord, break out against them. Guys, even the priests are told to stay off the top of the mountain or God will break out against them. So what you have here, it's kind of interesting on Mount Sinai, is you actually have like three zones of holiness. You have the base of the mountain where all the people can be and they can't go any further, they'll die. Okay, so there's one zone, the people zone, furthest away. The next zone is it seems that the priest could come up a little bit onto the mountain, right? And so there's a zone for the priest. And then there was a part to the mountain, the very top, that only Moses could go. There's kind of three zones of holiness, three zones of kind of the radiation of God's holiness, with the the closest one at the top of the mountain being lethal to everybody except for Moses. What does that remind you of? Is there anything else in scripture that reminds you of that with three zones of holiness? The tabernacle, right? The temple. You had the outer court, you had the holy place, 
and they have the Holy of Holies. So what's the point of this? What's the point of this display? The point of this display, guys, at Sinai is that God is holy. We are sinners. God is not safe for us to approach. I think in our current day and age, we need to hear that. We need to hear that God is not safe to approach. He is holy. Because I think something weird has happened in our culture. Well, it used to be assumed that God is holy and he judges us. Now we assume that we're holy and we judge God. That's not the case, guys. God is not safe to approach. And you know what? Nothing has changed in the last 3,500 years to make God any safer. Okay? God is still holy. We are still sinners. God is not safe. He's dangerous. Uh, my daughter Ellie, she's reading, or she just finished reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in there, there's a wonderful scene where Mr. Beaver is talking to, to Susan, the girl who's kind of entered the, the land of Narnia. And Susan's interested in Aslan, who's the, the ruler. And she finds out that the Aslan, the ruler of Narnia, is a great lion. And this surprises Susan, and she says this, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And then she asks, is he safe? To which Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king. Guys, God is no safer or tamer than he was on Mount Sinai. And so we have this problem, right? And you can see it even in this chapter between verses 1 through 8 and 8 through 25. We have this problem. God clearly wants to welcome his people into his presence. He's borne them on eagle's wings. He's bringing them to his presence. He clearly wants to welcome his people into his presence. But there's a problem. Our sinfulness and his holiness means we can't be near each other. We'll be destroyed if we tried. So what's the solution? Well, the solution in Exodus 19 is a mediator, right? A go-between. Moses is quite literally a go-between between the people and the Lord. He made at least seven trips up the mountain while they were there. For, they were there for a long period of time. He made at least seven trips up Mount Sinai. And keep in mind that this guy's 80 years old, okay? And so, you know, he would go up the mountain and he would take a message to God and God would... Um, respond and come down the mountain and say to the people what God had said and they would respond and he would go up the mountain and so he's a go-between he's back and forth up the mountain that's one option for a relationship with God you could have a merely human mediator an 80 year old man passing notes up and down a mountain for you like that's one option but Moses could never ever bring them up the mountain guys get this Moses kept them alive by keeping them away from God That's what kept them alive, okay? Moses can't bring them up the mountain. But guys, God wanted something more. God wanted to welcome his people up the mountain. In the beginning, in Genesis 2, God dwelled with his people, the first humans. He dwelled with them in a garden temple called Eden. It was a it was a kind of a temple area. It was a garden. It was a beautiful place. You can read about it in Genesis 2. There was no sin, no suffering. God created everything good. And Ezekiel 28 says that Eden was actually on a mountain. It was actually on a mountain. It says it was on the the holy mountain of God. So you've got this garden temple in the mountains. God is there dwelling with his people, walking with them in the cool of the day. Everything's beautiful. Everything's wonderful. That's the way the world started. But humanity sinned against the Lord and could no longer live in his presence. It was unsafe for us to dwell near his holiness. Uh, So humanity was banished. And the rest of the history of the world is a story. You may not know this, but it's a story. The the history of the world is a story about how we can return to that, to God's garden in the mountain. 
That's what it's about. That's what the whole, your whole existence is about. And so God sent a courier like Moses up and down this mountain in Exodus 19, but that wasn't enough for God. God wanted to be able to welcome his people home, not just to send notes to them, not just to speak to them at a distance. And so God himself came down from the mountain. He came down to bring us home. And so in Moses, we have a man who went up to the mountain of God and came down again. In Jesus, we have God, the God-man, coming down from heaven to bring us up. And that's what the ascension's about. Jesus died for our sins. He's raised from the dead. He appeared for 40 days, alive and well, proving himself to be resurrected. And then he went back up to his throne in heaven. And get this, unlike Moses... When Jesus ascended the the true mountain of God, he's able to say from the top, come on up, come on up. Through his ascension, Jesus has totally transformed the way up the mountain of God. Now, I want you to look at Hebrews 12, because Hebrews 12 is a commentary on this passage. And I want you to really turn there, and I'm, I'm watching, so I want you to really, really, really turn to Hebrews 12. This is super important. Hebrews 12, 18. Because I want you to see what's happened. So before we had the Mount Sinai, that's the approach to God, right? Through this mediator Moses. But then look at what's happened. He says this in Hebrews 12, 18. For you have not come to what may be touched. And he's talking about the mountain Sinai in Exodus 19. You have not come to what may be touched. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of trumpets and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken, right? This is all about Exodus 19. We've not come to that kind of mountain. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, okay? He's saying, in Jesus, you haven't come to that. You've, the mountain's been transformed. Listen to how this mountain of God has been transformed for you in Jesus. But, beautiful word, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who is enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling of blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Isn't that amazing? It's because Jesus is a better mediator. If you look at verse 24 in, in, um, in Hebrews 12, his blood speaks. It speaks better than the blood of Abel. What did the blood of Abel speak? Condemnation, right? Uh, Cain kills Abel, and God says his blood is crying out against you. Uh, so Abel's blood was crying out for vengeance from the ground, so to speak, against Cain. What does Jesus' blood cry out for you? Forgiven, holy, righteous, welcome. That's how Jesus' blood speaks. Jesus' blood has spoken and silenced the wrath of God and changed the whole terrain of the mountain of God and invited us home to him in the garden. And guys, seeing God's holiness shows us how great of a savior we need. Like passages like Exodus 19 are so important because we need to see how holy God is so we can see how much we need Jesus. Amen? Because a subtle shift happens in the Christian life where you actually start to believe that you're carrying your own weight. You actually start to believe that your own righteousness is what's giving you your acceptance before God. That somehow you earned it, right? That happens. It's called legalism. It's like this. I've got a diagram. So 
This is your perception of the gospel. So when you first came to Jesus, you had a certain perception about God's holiness. There's a certain perception about God's holiness that you had when you first came to Jesus. And you had a certain perception about your sinfulness, right? You had a certain perception about God's holiness and your sinfulness. And and you saw that only Jesus could be your mediator. Only Jesus could bridge the gap between God's holiness and your sinfulness. And so you look to Jesus to be your mediator and to bridge that gap, right? But what can steadily happen in your life is you can have an altered sense of God's holiness and your sinfulness, right? Your, your perceptions can change over time. Um, one way that it can go wrong is you can start to not see the depth of your, holy, of your sinfulness as so much. You start to see, well, you know, I'm not really that bad anymore. You know, I was really a sinner before, but man, I really cleaned up my life. And, and so maybe my sinfulness is, is not way down here, but, you know, I've improved. And maybe you start to see God's holiness is less and less. You start to see him not as Exodus 19 says, but maybe it's kind of a you know, grandfatherly, indulgent figure, kind of like a really happy Santa Claus. And you can start to see his holiness as being a smaller thing. Well, what happens if that happens? If you start to diminish God's holiness and think that you're more righteous than you are, look at the size of the cross. Look at the size of the gospel to you. Look at the size of Jesus. That's called legalism, guys. And that will have not only a devastating effect on your relationship with God, that will have a devastating relationship on your relationship with everybody else in your life. You'll become less forgiving. You'll become more bitter. You'll become more judgmental. You'll become more and more terrible to each other. (laughs) Okay. Um, But what, so that's, that's legalism. That's, that's a a slide to legalism that, that all Christians can do. What we want to do instead is, and the reason why we want need passages like Exodus 19 and Isaiah um, chapter 6 and stuff, is that we want to see more and more as we grow in the Lord, we want to see His holiness as higher, that He's more and more, not that He's more holy, but that we perceive His holiness as greater and greater. We see Him as He really is, like Exodus 19. And the other thing we want to see as we grow in the Lord is we want to see the depth of our sin. That our sin isn't just something we do, it's something that we are. And it's not just something that we are, it's something that dwells in our hearts, right? And the Sermon on the Mount and other passages like that show us that our sin is actually worse than we thought. And so good gospel growth is actually to see more and more God's holiness and see more and more the depth of our own sin. And so then what happens? Bigger Savior, bigger mediator. We start to see what Jesus really did. Because that's reality, right, guys? That's reality. We see the gap between God's holiness and, and the depth of our sinfulness. And we see how much we need Jesus. Guys, this is really about how big of a Savior do you need? Even this day. Not you did need. But how big of a Savior do you need now? How big of a mediator do you need now? Sinai shows us, guys, that we need a Savior as big as the mountain. Jesus Christ, right? And seeing both the love and the holiness of God, guys, also gives us a proper fear of God. And so we see here in in Exodus uh, 19 is we're seeing the uh, the proper fear of the Lord. And, And my favorite illustration of the fear of the Lord is this. Imagine that you're like hiking along a mountain ridge, you know, maybe, um, 
you know, just some snowy peak somewhere on the, and you're on this like exposed ridge and you're hiking along that. And then distance, you see this like dark storm brewing on the horizon. And as it's coming near, you realize this is a storm unlike anything you've ever seen before, right? And as it gets closer, you can actually hear it like shredding trees and uprooting trees and busting branches. And you hear even boulders rolling down hillsides because of the strength of this wind. And you're on this exposed ridge. And so you're realizing, you know what? I'm most certainly gonna be thrown to my death. And then suddenly, you see a little cleft in the rock and you peek in and you realize there's a little cave in there and you, you just barely squeeze in through the little opening and you go inside and you turn around and you watch out of the opening of that rock. Guys, that's what it's like to fear the Lord. That's what it's like to fear the Lord. You, it drives you to take refuge in Jesus and then from the safety of that little cave, you could look out, and from the safety of Christ, you can look out and you can see the, the, the terrifying holiness of God, but then feel safe. You're safe in Christ, but you can also appreciate and, um, and see his holiness. And so even though you're safe in Christ, your heart races as you see God's terrifying holiness. And you're so thankful, aren't you, that you have taken refuge inside of Christ. And no one in the world could lure you out of that as long as the storm is raging. And that's what it's like to fear the Lord, a gospel fear, a fear that's driven you into Christ to where you still see God as, as terrifyingly holy, but you also realize that you're safe in him. You're safe in Jesus Christ. Guys, that's gospel fear. And guys, that creates a love and a joy in God that's enough to power up your whole life. It's enough power to light up your whole life. Psalm 2:11 says, serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. <laughs> That's the only way a verse like that makes sense is with the illustration I just gave. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. That we could see his terrifying holiness and danger and yet know ourselves safe in Jesus Christ. And see his beauty both in his love and in his holiness. And guys, this, what I just told you, is, is the most important thing that anyone on earth could know. And that's going to actually, it's going to become apparent soon that that's the most important thing that every man, woman, and child needs to know on the planet Earth. Because guys, one day the world is going to come to a sudden end that looks just like Exodus 19. It looks just like Sinai. The New Testament talks about the return of Christ with all these same images. A storm, thunder, lightning, a cloud, trumpet blasts smoke, fire, earthquakes, all these things are ways that the New Testament talks about the return of Christ. This world, guys, will come to a sudden end at a scene that looks just like Sinai. And I think we're in a place now where we can see that the world could come to a sudden end. I mean, a couple of months ago, you never would have thought that the world could have come to the end it came to, which was minor, the end that it could have come to. And now we see like, wow, something so small could cause everything to come to a crashing end. Guys, the return of Christ, the return of God to this world is going to bring this world to a sudden end. And every one of you, me and every one of you and everyone you know, will stand before God's mountainous throne and give an account. And whether that mountain appears to them as Sinai or Zion, like it talks about in Hebrews 12, depends on if Christ's blood speaks for you. If you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, His blood will speak for you. If you deny Him, if you disregard Him, if you cast Him aside and act as if you don't need Him, His blood will not speak. 
holiness and righteousness and forgiveness for you. Hebrews 12, 25, so that passage I read earlier goes on to say this, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned on earth, how much more, how much less will they escape if they reject him who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he promises, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. The phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of all things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. And then listen to this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Guys, if you're trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, you have him as your mediator on the mountain of God. And on the final day, unlike Moses, Jesus is going to be able to say to you, come on up. And you might say, I don't know if I can, my sin, I, you know, I thought I'd be in a different place by now, and, and I'm still wrestling with all kinds of sins in my life. And you know what he'll say? I took care of that for you. And he'll say, look again at the mountain. And you'll look again at it, and it won't be Mount Sinai. It'll be Mount Zion the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. It'll be innumerable angels in festal gatherings and the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. And then you're going to come to God, the judge of all the earth, and to spirits made righteous, made perfect, and to Jesus. God transforms Mount Sinai and Mount Zion through the blood of Jesus and welcomes us to come home to him. That's yours if you trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, make us ready for that day. Whether it is near or whether it is far, make us ready for that day. Make us, Lord, take shelter in Jesus Christ. And make us, like the illustration I gave, never minimize the importance and the safety and the beauty and the wonder of being in Christ, safe in Him. Father, we thank you that we have been saved by you. We have been saved from you. We have been saved for you. That you have done everything that is needed to save us from your own holy wrath, to welcome us into your own presence. What a great Savior. You have provided the only blood that could quiet the wrath of Mount Sinai, the blood of Jesus. And Lord, we can all attest that you have borne us along on eagles' wings. You love us so much. We want to love you back by keeping your commandments and being your distinct missionary people, declaring your excellencies to all we know and to all the world. Make us a people so holy and happy that we show others the way to you. And all God's people said, for Jesus' glory, amen. So let's now, according to Hebrews 12, worship the Lord. He says this, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen? Amen. Let's worship that holy, righteous, loving God. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.